Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. Well, Argentina won the World Cup and deservedly so after the greatest final ever played in the World Football Tournament. But actually, we all won. Nobody in their right mind, and there are some people not in their right mind, could say that they don't enjoy football at that level. The final was the most dramatic sporting encounter of all time, but it was the apogee of the greatest tournament of all time. So Qatar won the World Cup. Qatar won the World Cup despite the swirling, smearing, slanderous, anti-Arab, anti-Muslim prejudice that infused virtually every minute of the pre-football chat on every television station in the early stages of the World Cup. We know who were the losers. The losers were the virtue-signaling half-wits who were on the plane home before, you could say, the words Manchester Guardian. And yes, Germany, I mean you, but not only you. I mean you, I mean Denmark. To some extent, I mean England. All you rainbow warriors that tried to spoil the World Cup because of your faux, in most cases, liberal sensibilities. I say faux because you wouldn't turn down a cheque from Qatar, nor from its neighbours. You wouldn't turn down a cheque from anybody. And you won't breathe a word of criticism of the United States of America four years from now if you are, you are offered a cheque to be there. So Qatar won the World Cup. The virtue signalers were the losers. Morocco won the World Cup, becoming the first African, first Arab, first Muslim football team to reach the semi-final of the World Cup and win the hearts of a billion people, a billion people that were predisposed towards them. But actually, I think millions of people that were not, that had no idea that the Arabs could play football like that. So Morocco also won the World Cup. FIFA won the World Cup. If they had not granted the last World Cup to Russia and this World Cup to Qatar, they would have saved themselves a lot of trouble, you know. A lot of subversion, a lot of destabilization, a lot of slander, a lot of arrests, charge and convictions. They would have been left entirely alone if they had granted the World Cup as the big powers intended to the United States and England because they didn't and because they chose Russia 
which hitherto was the best World Cup ever, and then Qatar, which now takes the prize. FIFA would be a very different organization today. So FIFA, hats off to you. But my more serious point is that this World Cup reflected the shift, the movement of the tectonic plates in the world, moving on the level of politics, on the level of economics, on the level of media reach and power, moving on the level of culture, moving on the level of sport. The old powers, the old colonial powers of France, of Germany, of Italy, of Belgium, and others, Spain, and others, Portugal, and others, have all gone home with their tails between their legs. And if you don't think that that is significant, you haven't been paying close enough attention. Sure, Argentina were also a colonizing country. Sure, France was filled with the people from the colonized countries. I'll let you in on a secret. I wanted France to win, and win they could have, even in the first 90 minutes, never mind with the rather poor penalties that they took and the rather poor goalkeeping of Hugo Lloris in the penalty shootout. Two of those penalties could have been saved by me, never mind the goalkeeper of the world champions as France were until a few moments ago. So it's all change. Is it all change on the Jack Kennedy story? Again, full disclosure. I loved Jack Kennedy. I was brought up in a house with his picture on the wall. He mattered to us. I could, as a child, recite well over half of his address, his inaugural address at the presidential inauguration. I wept in the street when my late father came out to tell me that the president had been killed that November night in 1963. But the next day, I already knew, although I wasn't even 10 years old, when I saw Jack Ruby murder the guy that murdered the president, I already smelled a rat. And I was nine years old. I knew there was something up about this, about whether or not Lee Harvey Oswald did commit that murder most foul. And if he did, how come a guy got into the garage of the police station and was able to shoot him dead at point blank range? And why would that man do that? Why would that man kill the man that killed the president when he himself hated the president? Even I could smell a conspiracy party and I was nine years old. Who was in that party? Well, first of all, anyone asking questions was branded for the first time in recorded English language in the media as a conspiracy theorist. The New York Times four times in 1964 branded those who thought the Warren Commission wasn't worth the paper it was written on 
apart from all the redacted pages, apart from all the things that weren't even in the redacted pages, knew that it was a crock. We were the conspiracy theorists, and 10 years old by that time. And for the rest of my days, I have and will believed that Jack Kennedy was murdered in a conspiracy by the deep state of the United States of America. Furthermore, I've got to thinking, actually since Bob Dylan's song, Murder Most Foul, that there has never been glad, confident mourning in America ever since. As Bob says, the Antichrist came in the door when LBJ was sworn in on board the presidential aircraft after the murder of Jack Kennedy. I have got to thinking that prior to the murder of Kennedy, most of the world could have sung along to the song, I want to be an American. But ever since the killing of Jack Kennedy, slowly but surely, people have fallen out of love with the United States of America. And that feeling was crystallized in what Robert F. Kennedy Jr. said this week about Tucker Carlson's newscast on Fox News on the day that these papers were released finally by Joe Biden. Tucker Carlson no political friend of mine on Fox News, not exactly my television station of choice, spoke more truth with greater clarity in five minutes than the entire media and political class in the United States has done in almost 60 years. Carlson made the point that America was murdered that day on Dealey Plaza, in that nightmare on Elm Street in Dallas, Texas, because the American public slowly but surely realized that their own state had killed their own president, had murdered this man so full of promise and vigor with his beautiful wife and his young children had murdered him yes hard luck lots of people get murdered but they murdered the republic they murdered what remained of the american dream of course they had committed many crimes before and of course they would go on to commit many worse crimes after and until this day but few of their crimes were as significant as the one that took place in the murder most foul of Jack Kennedy. And something else died that day. It was the faith of the American people in their own government. And every day that has ensued, every one has vindicated that collapse, that death of faith in the state, in the American Republic. Until the situation we have today, when the United States of America is 
led by a blithering idiot who you wouldn't send out to buy a loaf, but who's sitting there right now with the nuclear football at the foot of his desk that if he presses will bring about the end of all humanity. How serious is that? A Congress of people on the make, of people insider trading, of people engaged in corrupt practices of all kinds, two political parties, virtually as toxic as each other, completely ruling the roost and continuing to try and rule the world. What's happening in Ukraine is an American war. Almost everyone can see that now. We've got a poll running. Are you ready to die for Ukraine? Thousands, tens of thousands of people have voted. 92% of us are not ready to die for Ukraine. I wonder about the 8%. That's a lot of residents of Ward 5 in Broadmoor Hospital for the criminally insane. Who are you? 8%. Call the show and explain how, why you are ready to die for Ukraine. It's an American war. Almost everyone can now see it. It wasn't unprovoked. Putin is not a maniac who woke up one morning and decided to attack his neighbor. This war has been in the making in Washington for years. And the European satrapies of the United States Empire, the vassals, like Macron, poor Mbappe, didn't just lose the World Cup final despite scoring a hat-trick. He had to endure Macron, hugging him, trying to console him at the end, adding insult to injury. These vassals, Macron, Johnson, Sunak, whoever it was that came in between them, little soldier Schultz, and the people whose names we don't even know, that are the vassals in most of the European countries. They're not making any decisions. If they were, their own economies wouldn't be being visibly destroyed in front of the eyes of their people. These decisions are being made by that blithering idiot in Washington. How far down we've come. From Jack Kennedy, who diffused the Cuban missile crisis by intelligence and diplomacy to the blithering idiot Joe Biden who has dragged us all to the cusp of war because that poll question is not an academic one. You even though you voted in overwhelming numbers that you were not ready to die for Ukraine, might still have to die for Ukraine. Make no mistake about this. The world has never been closer to a nuclear catastrophe than it is right now. The Russians are deploying their nuclear weapons right now, showing it on television, 
They're openly discussing changing their nuclear doctrine, hitherto setting their face against any first use of nuclear weapons. Why are they doing this? Because they can see that the NATO countries, including yours, are determined upon war after war after war after war and that they will never stop until they have succeeded or died, succeeded in their mission to regime change Russia, to divide it, break it up, balkanize it, like they did with Yugoslavia, steal its resources, steal its oil, its gas, its gold, its nickel, all of its precious metals, all of its timber, all of its ore, all of its land, the biggest country in the world. They will not stop until they have been stopped or they succeed. And China knows that she is next. China knows acutely that she is next. And so a situation has developed in the world. Almost Orwellian in its sweep of permanent war stretched out before us for the rest of our lives and even the lives of our children should they survive this period of permanent war. War for resources, war for power, war for riches, war for hegemony, dominance, war for direction of international events and the control of other people's national sovereignty. That's the future that Russia can see, which is why these great missiles of theirs that could land almost in an instant on any European capital and not very much later on any American city are now there, pictured for the first time, bristling with defiance. This is not our war, and yet Britain is deeply involved in it. Its soldiers are deeply involved in it. Its treasury is funding it. Its politicians are seeking and helping to direct it. Our special forces have now admitted that they're actually fighting in the war. None of us agreed to this. None of us were asked to agree to it. Even the puppet parliament in London was not trusted to be asked for this involvement. Britain, after the United States, is the number one villain in this picture. And so if the shooting starts, if the nuclear weapons begin to fly, be sure that they'll land on London, Birmingham, Manchester, Liverpool, Glasgow, before anywhere else. Our leaders have made us amongst the most hated of countries 
in the world. We don't like to say it, we don't like to hear it, but it's true. The United States once loved, admired, copied, emulated, is now the most hated country in the world. The tectonic plates have shifted not just in Qatar this evening in the World Cup final. They are shifting volubly, visibly, on every level because it's now a race against time. Can the world change before it is destroyed? It's going to be a bumpy night. I need your calls. 760,000 people watched last Sunday's show, which in a time of the World Cup is frankly astounding and certainly not a number that can be compared with any current affairs show of its kind anywhere in the world. But people are recovering breathlessly from what we've just watched. And therefore you have a chance to get your phone call in and on air in a way that you never have before. But first up, after this short break, it's the indefatigable English journalist, Johnny Miller, in the Ukraine. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Johnny Miller is a British journalist in the Donbass of great courage and skill, who has under fire, literally under fire, under fire on him, under fire on his digs, the streets that he's in, continued to do what once upon a time would have been regarded by many, not all, not even most, but by many journalists as their sacred duty to bring the public both sides of a story. I know, it sounds quaint now. So he's quaint, and we love him. Johnny Miller, welcome back to the mother of all talk shows. Before uh, going into the situation where you are, I'd like your take on this, the issue of casualties. Uh, von der Leyen took down her video, but she said it, and they haven't resiled from it that Ukraine has lost 100,000 soldiers in 10 months. 
I may say that people like Scott Ritter think that's a serious underestimation and that the figure is much more like a quarter of a million once you factor in all the soldiers that are missing, whose mothers and wives are desperately searching for them. But even the 100,000 figure is so horrifyingly large. It's, it's World War II figures, and if Scott Ritter's right, it's World War I figures. If it was a quarter of a million dead in 10 months, that would be World War I figures of casualties. What's your uh, ability to gauge that question from where you are? Yeah, uh, first of all, I'm sorry to, to fool yourself, George, and your production crew, but I'm actually a proud Scot from Edinburgh. My accent uh, it makes me sound British. I'm also a proud Brit, but I just wanted to correct that. Uh, and I've also just left Don, Donetsk uh, a week ago. I'm now in Moscow. But I've spent mo uh, most, most of the last six months uh, in Donbass. In terms of your uh, question, for my reporting, I've, I've reported mostly from the Russian side of this conflict. When I started this conflict, I'm asking my news broadcaster to report on the whole conflict, uh, the, the west of Ukraine as well. <clears throat> and at the start of this conflict, I'd have to rely on, on mainstream figures, mainstream journalists, um, from uh, many reporters in the west of Ukraine. I've since stopped doing that because most of their reporting is simply not credible. Uh, I, you have these missiles landing in Poland, which turned out, they said they were Russian, they turned out to be Ukrainian. I'd have to rely on these sources. And I simply don't anymore. And I rely increasingly on people like Scott Ritter, uh, some other fantastic uh, Twitter and Telegram journalists, citizen journalists, whose information is far more reliable. And indeed, as a journalist covering this war uh, in Ukraine, most of your uh, the research you do is on the Telegram channels. And so uh, the amount of images, the amount of footage I watch, frontline footage uh, of the dead soldiers, uh, it would suggest that uh, the figures that Scott Ritter says, uh, and indeed the head of the European Union says, are much more realistic. Uh, 100,000, I would say, uh, sounds about right or conservative. It's, it's without doubt that the Ukrainians are losing a lot more than the Russians. The Russians, a few months ago, put their figures out about 6,000. They may be lying about that. They may not be. You can double that, by the way, because the Russians only give their official figures you add in the Donbass fighters and the Luhansk fighters and the private military fighters, you could double that to 13,000 or so. That sounds like it might be accurate, although I have spoken to some Russian uh, journalists and figures, and many people in Russia think that it's much higher on the Russian side. But uh, without doubt, the Russians have overwhelming artillery uh, superiority, um, and the Ukrainians, without doubt, are dying in far higher numbers than the Russians. And I suspect the figures uh, of 100,000 upward are far more accurate. Now, what's the impact on the morale, on the will to go on with the war uh, in Ukraine in the teeth of such uh, figures? Uh, there's no doubt that the resilience of the Ukrainian forces is greater than many, including me, uh, might have expected, given the rottenness of the regime in Kiev, its illegitimacy, uh, having been born of a, a violent uh, Western-coordinated coup d'etat. Uh, is there any sign, I suppose I'm asking, of any increase in the Ukrainian public's wish to bring this matter to a negotiated close? Well, it's difficult. I mean, 
it's very difficult to speak about a homogenous group of people. You know, in Britain, 50% of people supported Brexit, 50 people didn't, 50% didn't. In Russia, Vladimir Putin is very popular, but there's 700,000 or so Russians who've left the country, many have come back, many Russians are unhappy about the war, although many others. I went to a Scottish Cayley band in Moscow the other day, just returned from the war, and I spoke to the Russian singer afterwards, and he said, yeah, we'll, um, uh, we realize this war is going to go on, and if I'm mobilized, I will do my patriotic duty. So that's very much the feelings of the Russians. For the Ukrainians, it's difficult to tell. I have a friend in, in Kiev, a uh, pro-Ukrainian pro government friend, and, you know, he says, you know, he's living in the dark right now. There's no electricity, but he still says the missile defense is working. There's a huge, which is just absurd. There's a huge amount of propaganda in Ukraine. It's become, I mean, I was in Kiev at the opening stages of the war. I fled for, for my safety. I, any journalist who criticizes the Ukrainian government is the risk of getting arrested or most likely killed. They've banned all political parties, most political parties. They've banned opposition media. And one of the most, the most important stories that I've been covering over six months, and it's such an important story, George, is that the Ukraine is intentionally shelling and killing uh, citizens in Donetsk that it claims to be its own citizens. Uh, it's, it's such an important story, and there's no mainstream reporters there. And the reason they're not, they're not there and they're not being sent is because it's a very inconvenient story that Ukraine is intentionally shelling and killing civilians it claims to be its own people. My apartment, three of my apartments have been hit. My favorite cafe has been hit. Whenever I have nothing else, uh, no other filming planned, I simply follow the incoming. Uh, sometimes a missile just lands in the street. Sometimes it's a bus station with bodies in the street. Sometimes it's a youth center with a dead woman outside and, a, and her mother over her screaming and crying to the sky. Uh, these, these people in Donetsk, almost all, all of them are pro-Russian people. And it's a story that's just not reported because if people in Europe realize that Ukraine is intentionally shelling its own civilians, and realize that it's not this holier-than-now democratic country, and they realize that huge areas of the East and the South support Russia, and frankly, can no longer... I'll tell you what it's like living in a, in a neighborhood where the street next to you is, is bombed, and all the streets next to me are being bombed, and there's bodies in the street. These people, no one... They, they can't be part of Ukraine anymore. And this story is not being told, because the suggestion from NATO... Oh. And the Western countries is that the only way to end this war is to keep pumping money in. There is another way to end this war, and that's to listen to the people on the ground and push for peaceful negotiations. Uh, and that, that's why this story is not being told. I, I, if I had a pound for every journalist that uh, put to me in the run-up to the Iraq war that uh, the Iraqi regime, Saddam Hussein, had been bombing his own people, uh, I'd be a rich man. And... Yet nobody ever says in the Western media that Zelensky is bombing his own people. He's killing his own people. They say that the whole of Ukraine is theirs. Their war aim is to recover all of their national territory, which means that the very people they are killing on a daily basis since 2014 are their own people that they are killing. I wonder if it ever occurs to Western journalists that that used to trip off their tongue in relation to Iraq so easily. Well, well yeah, and I, I can't tell you enough, George, or I'll try to transmit to your viewers what it's like um, and just how shocking it is when you're living... The, the week before I, was, I left, just last week, 20 civilians, around 20 civilians were killed by the shelling, just indiscriminate shelling. I went to a church. It's very difficult living in these places. There's a beautiful cathedral there. Since I go, I'm spending more time in churches 
and I and I and I go there and try to find some peace there. And I think about this cathedral being hit. The next day it was hit, and just a few days ago a, a missile went through the roof and put a hole in its roof. Uh, and it's an incredibly underreported story. And this is why Noam Chomsky, the great Noam Chomsky, and John Pilger, the great Australian journalist, both recently came out and said that there's no war in hit that they've ever seen that there's been more propaganda than this war. And they've been reporting and, and commenting on war since Vietnam. And you have to ask yourself, why in this war there's been more propaganda than any other war? Why? Because I'm in Moscow now. A lot of Russian people have been damaged by the sanctions, particularly people in IT, for example, who deal with trade in the West. But most Russians haven't. These sanctions, it must be the stupidest policy in modern European history to sanction a country in Russia. And the sanctions seem to be doing more damage to Europe than they are uh, to Russia. And that's why you need such a level of propaganda in this war to convince the European people to continue to support a war in which they're having to drop their own living standards and when there is a clearly a peace available. That's why there's so much propaganda in this war. Any serious international analyst or historian knows perfectly well that NATO has played a role in provoking, provoking this war. That's not controversial. That's just very obvious. But anybody who says that is deemed to be some kind of pro-Putin pro or Kremlin propagandist. And the level of propaganda in this war, and that's why you have this huge cover-up of Ukraine and of the, the, the extremist Nazi element. My translator in Donbass is a Jew. She's a Jewish woman. She's a translator at a local university. She's shocked. Uh, I asked her, how do you feel about European governments supporting the Azov Battalion who are in Donbass in Mariupol, near where she lives? How do you feel about the Azov Battalion? She says, well, we, we, we as the Jewish community in Donbass, we knew that there were people of this idea who existed, but we were shocked that the European governments would support them. European governments supporting these people, it's shocking. And there's so many, most European children are taught rightly about the Holocaust in schools. And now when you have this extremism in Ukraine, and it's not just Russian propaganda, there's a huge extremist element in Ukraine. You know, I, I'm a, I don't believe the, Brit the British government has bombed many countries over the last 20 years or so, killed many civilians. But I don't believe the British government as a matter of course, daily targets civilians with its bombing. That's what Ukraine does. Uh, and it's shocking these cover-ups and the level of propaganda in this war is extreme because, because European people are suffering more than the Russian people are suffering. And I think this is a massive, not just immoral mistake from European governments and the British government, but a massive strategic error from the European governments. You know, I'm a leftist. I'm sorry if this offends you, George, or some of your viewers, but frankly, I prefer Margaret Thatcher in power right now, or, or certainly uh, Winston Churchill, who I think would make better strategic decisions uh, for our people than the current lot are, are doing right now. Yeah, very shrewd uh, observation. I agree with it. Uh, the the uh, mobilization of further uh, Russian forces, reinforcements, must be well underway now. Uh, were you conscious of that uh, in the Donbass? Did you see more Russians? Were you conscious of, uh, if you like, a stepping up of the war effort from the Russian side? Absolutely, yes. I mean, I was in Donbass, what, in May. Uh, now it's very different. Huge amount of Russian soldiers, a lot of Chechen soldiers. Uh, the Chechen soldiers aren't quite sure how to respond to me as a British person there. They're quite confused about why I'm there. They keep uh, demanding that I say Akhmat Sila, which is their greeting they do. But clearly a huge, a huge influx of Russian soldiers. And, you know, I say this that people like Scott Ritter and others, and I think any serious military analyst, will make it clear that it's, it's very difficult to see how Ukraine can win this war. Uh, Russia, the, 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 
the population, the military-industrial complex. It's, it's very difficult to see how Ukraine can beat Russia, even with the Ukrainian weapons. As I said, there are many Russian people unhappy about this war, but the majority of Russian people are supporting this war. And they, the Russians are able to mobilize huge amounts uh, of people. And they have, I spoke to a Russian analyst, pro-Russian analyst the other day. He told me he's been to the east of Russia. The Soviets have been preparing for a war with the whole of NATO for, 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 for decades. The, the Russians have huge military stockpiles and very advanced weaponry. And it's very difficult to see. And, I, and I'm wondering whether there's just a breakdown of NATO's strategy, of whether they actually believe that they can win this war and take back these four regions, or whether they just want the war to carry on as long as possible, make money for arms manufacturers, try forlornly to try to damage Russia as much as possible, even though European people are suffering. I wonder whether they believe their own propaganda and they think they can win this war, or, uh, or what their strategy is, because it's very clear the Russians will ultimately, it's very difficult to see how the Ukrainians can take back these, these four regions. When Russia, they're not going to cause the breakdown of Russian uh, society, even if Vladimir Putin was ousted. It's more, much more likely that a more hardline uh, president or leader was put in power in Russia. Most Russians are more unhappy. Most, a lot of Russians are saying we should be bombing Ukraine harder. Uh, I spoke to one Russian government official uh, a few days ago who says that we're really holding off, uh, we haven't taken off the gloves yet. Frankly, Russia could destroy cities. Frankly, Russia could give the warning in Kiev to evacuate people and destroy Kiev, and that's without uh, nuclear weapons. The more NATO supplies uh, weapons to Ukraine, simply the more of Ukraine will be destroyed and the more Ukrainian people will die. Uh, and that's the reality of, of, of this war. Now, General Winter is now on the battlefield. What are the climate conditions uh, in the eastern Ukraine right now for those who don't know the country? Well, winter's, winter's tough. Uh, I have one uh, Donbass militia. It's very hard as a British journalist to get access with the Russian army for obvious reasons, but I am able to get access as, uh, to the one uh, Donbass militia. And in the summer, they would take me to the trenches. The last time they took me, uh, they didn't take me to the trenches. They took me to a non-trench place, I suspect, because the trenches are in a pretty bad condition um, because of the rain, the snow, etc. Um, interestingly, when I was there uh, filming, I spoke to a number of Russian volunteers, and they all seemed to tell me they thought that they were fighting in the opening stages of World War III. Uh, and that's very much the fear for me at the moment, that this war is going to turn into, or even there's some debates about whether this World War III started in Syria or whether it started in Ukraine. And that's the fear for me, and I think you talk about that a lot, a lot George, about this uh, coming war uh, that, and, and the dangers of that. But the conditions on both sides um, for soldiers in Barmut or Artemovsk in Russian, it's even been the, the Ukrainian or, or NATO media being, call, being called a meat grinder because Russia has overwhelming artillery superiority and is just pounding Ukrainian positions. And now there's another round of Ukrainian mobilizations sending more troops in uh, to get killed by this artillery. So the front lines are difficult. I mean, for Donbass soldiers, uh, many Donbass, there's conscription in Donbass, so many soldiers, young soldiers, very happy to join up, couldn't wait to join up. Some, I, met, I saw one young soldier, he couldn't look more than 18. Frankly, I don't think he wanted to be there. Um, soldiers on both sides um, are dying, and it's, and, it's, and it's hell on the front lines. Um, Donetsk City is a front line, effectively, for civilians. Um, but it, it's difficult to explain war to anybody who hasn't been in it. Um, and, and it's... 
it's, it's hell. And, you know, when I get back to Moscow and people here are just carrying on their lives as normal, just like in London, just like Berlin, just like New York. Um, but in Ukraine, it's hell right now on the front lines in all the cities. And um, I think it's in all interests of European and responsibility of European people to try and stop a war uh, on, our, on our continent. Johnny Miller, stay safe. Enjoy a bit of rest and recreation. We're sure that we'll be hearing from you again someday from somewhere, some other conflict, perhaps. Johnny, thanks uh, for joining us. Are you ready to die for Ukraine? That's the poll for the evening. A yes, B no, get your votes in. You probably want to know uh, that uh, we've got a special Christmas edition coming up next Sunday night, so Christmas night. Uh, If you're uh, fed up of the festivities, you'll watch it live. If you're still uh, full of it, then you might watch it after uh, the uh, transmission. So, of course, uh, it's a special one. It's a best of mother of all talk shows. And you'll be astounded at some of the highlights that we've had in this momentous year. And you probably want to know, especially if you're in America but not exclusively so, that in the new year, we hope to launch Moats America. It will be on a Friday night, much later for uh, people in Europe, in the UK. Uh, It will be something like midnight London time uh, to maximize the American audience, of course. Uh, But Moats America will be presented by American presenters. The guests will be chosen by those American presenters. The callers, the messages and so on will be overwhelmingly American. Now, we think there's an audience for that in the United States and, in fact, elsewhere in the world to know what the thinking is in the United States of America. So if you want to help us get Moats America off the ground in 2023, Here's how you can do it. You can give on our Super Chat. That is on the YouTube channel. It's very easy. Just go to Super Chat, make a donation, leave a comment. I'll read them out if I can possibly do so. Uh, And if you're not on YouTube, then go to our website, moats.tv, and find the donate button there. If we get Moats America off the ground, you'll be seeing much more of our next guest. He's our hero who has fought his way back from ban after ban, sanction after sanction, with such calm, cool and collected analysis that, in my view, he's earned the title, the coolest cat on the Potomac. He is, of course, Garland Nixon, and he joins us now. Garland, thanks uh, for joining us again on the Mother of All Talk Shows. We always miss you when you're not here. Let me start with the Kennedy story, can I? Has Joe Biden's decades late release of a few of the documents of the Kennedy assassination stilled the clamor amongst the public for the truth of that? Or did it do 
too little, too late. Well, it was about what was expected. I think the fact that the government continues after all of these years to actually defy the law, which says that um, they're supposed to release these documents, simply, I wouldn't use the word fuels, I would say cements what people already intuitively know. And that is that the um, intelligence agencies were involved, that they have been involved in massive cover-ups. That's, ex- uh, that's documented. And certainly the question is out there, why would the CIA, why would the intelligence community in the United States hide any information um, that could lead to the arrest and prosecution of someone who killed the president of the United States unless they were involved? And uh, I, so I think people already intuitively know the answer. And this just cements the, that there's something being hidden. Yeah, I mean, now the polls show more than 80% of Americans believe what was in 1963-64 described as a conspiracy theory, a lesson to all of us, uh, Garland. Uh, Now, uh, many years later, of course, almost 60 uh, years later, there's hardly anyone in America who any longer believes in the official version. And that's before we get talking about what happened to Dr. King and to Malcolm X and to Senator Robert Kennedy and so on. Uh, it, is, uh, it is a remarkable transformation, and yet it was left to a right-wing commentator on a right-wing television station, Tucker Carlson, to make the clearest, the most eloquent denunciation of U.S. state involvement in this crime. How come? Well, that's because the Democratic Party, which masquerades as a left party, which certainly um, when you if you evaluate the Democratic Party in the United States by the traditional standards that would, um, you know, differentiate the left from the right. There is nothing left about them. They, you know, just use a few cultural issues to argue that they're left. But it's because the United the uh, Democratic Party is completely I wouldn't say absorbed by the um, by the national security state. I would say simply a party, an extension of the national security state. So no one within the Democratic Party is ever going to push back against something that would besmirch the holy name of the national security state, which they so worship. So uh, Tucker Carlson, it's what's amazing is that, you know, Fox News, that a conservative um, news outlet would be the one that would allow pushback against the against the, um, you know, the prevailing winds of the national security state. I'm quite frankly surprised that it's even allowed on Fox News, but I'm glad about it. Certainly the rest of the Democratic Party is just part of the problem rather than um, a group that could look into and solve the problem. Now, speaking of the security state, uh, we learn more with every batch of Twitter files uh, that the American security state has been running Twitter all these years. Uh, What did you make of the latest revelations that the FBI were practically in control of the uh, Twitter platform, which was supposed to be the public square? Yeah. And, you know, one could argue that um, what they were doing at Twitter was simply an extension of the whole Russiagate 
um, operation. People call it a hoax. I call it an, an illegal criminal operation. And what they were doing at Twitter was just an extension of that. You know, one of the things I think the 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 most glaring legal violation or potential legal violation I see is um, regarding Hunter, the, the um, Hunter Biden's laptop, where in fact the FBI in December of 2019 um, confiscated Hunter, Hunter Biden's laptop. In fact, the guy at the Delaware um, computer shop called them. They responded there, they interviewed him, and they took the laptop. So they knew that Hunter Biden's laptop was in fact the original laptop. They had interviewed the person who got it. At that point, they contacted Twitter and likely the other social media um, companies and told them the opposite. They then contacted Twitter, having the laptop, knowing that it was in fact the original laptop, and they said to Twitter that they thought the Russians were going to do a hack and dump somewhere around the, um, uh, the time of the election and that Twitter needed to adjust their um, terms of, of service so that they could more easily censor it. So they, again, they ran a deliberate misinformation operation on the American people telling the social media companies the opposite of what they knew was true. So, I mean, to me, there couldn't be a more blatant violation of the law and that they deliberately um, um, and willfully with malice and a forethought to actions in a way that they knew would um, affect the outcome of the election, or at least intended to out outcome the, 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 um, the election, because they lied. They, they said the opposite of what they knew. Um, I think that also calls Congress into question, because at the minute that Congress finds that out, they have to initiate an investigation into that. But Congress is, you know, is, uh, uh, as quiet as can be. If in the light of these revelations, which are treason on a much greater scale than a bunch of lunatics turning up in raccoon hats at uh, the Senate building on January 6th, it, it's, it's a much more egregious and obvious breach of the American Constitution, the, the laws of the Republic. Uh, will anything happen as a result? No, I don't see anything happening. Um, certainly the um, the Republicans are captured by the same uh, group, the same um, powers, the same entities that have captured the um, the, the Democratic part, the, Demo uh, the Democrats. I would um, suspect that the rush, uh, excuse me, that the Republicans will do some investigations and in service to the national security state, all of their findings will be related to China. They will find arguments that China did something wrong, China was involved, and China is evil, and that seems to be the direction that they're going into. Certainly, the Democrats won't um, take any actions. They'll they 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 will move to block anything that the Republicans are going to do. Do so. I don't look at a um, a real, true, and honest outcome for this reason. If in fact the people of America knew what the national security state was doing, if they knew what the FBI did, if they were able to look at this and find out exactly what the FBI has done, it would shatter the very faith that people have, what little is left, in our republic. It would be so major and it would just keep going back to the Department of Homeland Security. It would go back to all of these entities. We know that the, um, the DNI, the Director of National Intelligence Office, was 
was involved. So this was a broad operation throughout the government, throughout the national security state. And I, I um, you know, think the American people should know. But if they knew, how could the government continue to stand in the United States if that if, if, if that and of course, we've got to add this. And all of this is simply an extension of Russiagate. They continue to do the same things that they did during the crossfire hurricane uh, um, investigation. And a a number of these particular issues that they were uh, addressing came right out of Russiagate. Now, uh, you and I have both got huge bones of contention uh, with uh, Twitter uh, and therefore with its ownership of uh, Elon uh, Musk. But you'd have to concede, wouldn't you, that he has turned out to be uh, a tiger amongst the pigeons. He's got them fluttering uh, everywhere in the dovecot. Uh, Would he be well advised not to go driving down Elm Street in an open-top limousine into Dealey Plaza? If you get my drift. Oh, absolutely. I agree with you. You know, Elon Musk has made some statements uh, lately where he said he was concerned about um, assassination. And I think um, it was smart of him to say that because it makes it harder for them to, you know, for him to, you know, have an accident in a small plane or, you know, how it usually goes. Um, But, uh, you know, the issue of Twitter to me is not related to Elon Musk. One of the things that happens in the United States is they create these anger or rage towards an individual, whether it's Vladimir Putin or Donald Trump or Elon Musk. So they create a dynamic where everybody is enraged at this person and then they can go after the person because people will say, well, I hate him. I don't care if the government might as well go after him. And the mainstream media is in the process of creating this wave of anger and rage against Elon Musk. But I think there are the the fact of the matter is that outside of the Democratic Party echo chamber, a lot of Americans either aren't on Twitter and don't know that much about it or are welcoming um, an open uh, platform. So, you know, to me, I don't like to get into this politics of personality where Elon Musk is either the hero or villain. I prefer to evaluate what's going on at Twitter. There is more openness. There are certainly people got to mention Scott Ritter, who should be back on Twitter, and some aren't. Okay. But um, I think it's a very positive thing that the there's information coming out from the inside. And we now know that the social, the the, um, the national security state is directly involved in social media. We know that it's happening in Google and in um, Facebook and Instagram. They're all doing the same. So we kind of intuitively suspected it. Now we have the evidence. I think that's a positive thing. Yay for Elon Musk for doing it. That doesn't make him a hero or a villain. That just makes him a, a, a human being who, in this instance, maybe have done some of the right things. Now, uh, another billionaire oligarch, uh, Jeff Bezos, uh, is uh, throwing his staff at the Washington Post to the wolves. It seems like uh, there's, there's a state of some chaos in media in the United States. The days of the hegemony of the New York Times and, and CBS and Washington Post and so on are very, very far behind us now, aren't they? Uh, as we heard from an earlier guest, if you want the war, if you want the war news on the Ukraine, you get it on Telegram. The the real journalism about the war is on Telegram. It sure ain't in the Washington Post. No wonder Bezos is throwing them on the on the unemployment scrap heap. 
Well, I, you know, all um, people out there have to do is look at the numbers for your show, the mother of all talk shows. You know, I started like a year ago, less than a year ago, maybe seven or eight months ago doing a YouTube show and I'd have like 30 people watching. I did an episode last night. I had 1500 people. So I think that what's going on, it's not that I'm something great or, you know, some of the alternative media people. We're not geniuses. However, um, I think there is a, a hunger and a thirst out amongst the public for um, an alternative respect perspective. I won't even call it an alternative for for at least an unbiased perspective, for at least people who are searching for the truth and who aren't wholly captured by the corporate state and the national security state. And what the mainstream media is experiencing is a wave of people who are exiting. You know, you can go. What difference does it make if you go to The Washington Post or The New York Times? If you want to hear what an anonymous security official said, um, you can go to any of those and, and get that. I think people are wise to that. They're going to people like us and Jimmy Dore and on and on. And um, I think the mainstream media is trying to figure out how to deal with the exodus of their viewers, but they're not going to be able to do it because they would have to act in a way that would compromise, uh, you know, Jeff Bezos's all his his um, contracts with the federal government. Well, he can't just throw them out by telling the truth on The Washington Post. Uh, exactly. So uh, finally, and I'm grateful for your time, Garland, uh, what of Trump? Uh, he said he had a very big announcement to make. It turned out to be the launch of, I don't know, some. it looked like a baseball cards uh, with his uh, idealized image uh, on it. Is that really all he's got to say or has he still got something big up his sleeve? Well, you know, that's to me that doesn't surprise me for Donald Trump. That's kind of the kind of thing I would expect from Donald Trump. He can be kind of a cartoonish image at times. That being said, um, there are a lot of people that are counting Donald Trump out. You know, he has no chance. I think one of the things that could happen with Donald Trump, you know, DeSantis is moving up. However, Donald Trump has a very, very solid, let's say, 30, 35 percent of the Republican Party. He has a very that base, very, very solid. I suspect that, uh, you know, DeSantis and, and several other people that you will see that will be attractive to some people in the party will just simply split the votes. And, and you'll st he'll still have that 30 or 35 percent. The other people will split the votes up. Certainly the system will try to jump in, do like they did with um, Joe Biden and try to get everybody to jump out and leave, you know, DeSantis for him. But I suspect that um, I suspect that Donald Trump is still very, very strong. There's this there's discussion now about charging Donald Trump relative to January 6th. If you really look over that, there's. You know, you could charge anybody with anything, but the idea that you will get a um, conviction based on the kind of mealy mouth, you know, amorphous kind of, um, you know, whisperings that they call evidence is absurd. So even if they charge Donald Trump, Trump with something, which I doubt would happen, I just see no universe where you get a conviction. And then, of course, if you go after a person and you don't get them, they always they're always much, much stronger. And they say, look at me. I was almost a martyr. I, you know, the, the system came after me and I survived. They just make Donald Trump stronger. Yeah, if you go for the king, you better not miss. Garland Nixon, thanks very much indeed for joining us on the mother of all talk shows. The poll's still running. Are you ready to die for Ukraine? Yes, 8%. Who are they? Who is that 8%? No, 92%. That's on Twitter. On YouTube, only 3%. That's just about the number in Ward 5 of Broadmoor. No, 97%. Telegram, yes, 
2% no 98. Keep voting right up to the end of the show. Here's a YouTube comment from Abel Malcolm. It's hard to top the George Galloway show, but the Garland-Nixon show does that. Well, thank you very much. Uh, I'm sure it's a dead heat, uh, but Garland-Nixon is, as I think I was one of the first to recognize, one of the shrewdest, smartest analysts on the block. Uh, let me take a quick break then, and then it's your calls all the way. Stay tuned. As the green smoke rose, their faces flashed out, pallid green, and faded again as it vanished. Then slowly the hissing passed into a humming, into a long, loud, droning noise. Suddenly, a humped shape rose out of the pit, and the ghost of a beam of light seemed to flicker out after it. Forthwith, flashes of actual flame, a bright glare leaping from one to another, sprang from the scattered group of men. It was as if some invisible jet impinged upon them and flashed into white flame. It was as if each man were suddenly and momentarily turned to fire. I love the artwork on that, and I hope you like my voice. I hope it does that brilliant story justice, The War of the Worlds. It is a stunning piece of work. The book, I mean, not my narration of it. But I'm looking at uh, what book to do next. I'm leaning towards one that just came out of copyright, Seven Pillars of Wisdom by T.E. Lawrence the so-called Lawrence of Arabia. But I'm ready to take uh, other suggestions uh, as to which uh, out-of-copyright book you would like me to read into the record. So you can uh, catch that on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash George Galloway. And then there's our podcast, which let me tell you, let me just read you what's been sent to me. We have subscribers to our podcast in over 140 countries in the world. And we're in the top 5% of podcasts in the entire world. We've been trending in Canada, Italy, Sri Lanka, Pakistan, and Singapore. Last week, we asked, is Twitter a better place since Elon Musk? We showed you hell in Haiti. We asked whether Meghan and Harry should keep their titles. Don't miss out by catching up with our podcast. You can get it where you normally get your podcast. Please give us a five-star review. And why not like this video and subscribe also. Line one, we've got Tarif in New Orleans. Always worth hearing. Tarif, what would you like to say? Thank you, George, for taking my call. First, I'd like to say free Julian and Sanj. I'd like to talk about my case because I remember I spoke to you about this about two years ago about Mikey, Michael E. DeBakey contaminating a water problem, which I was a witness to. I was a worker at the VA in Houston. 
Veteran Affairs. We'll take care of vets. Well, looked like last week I kind of got lucky, and I called a, a line, a calling show, and I spoke to Katie Halper, and Aaron Mate was on it too. And I told them about my case, and they said they're going to look into it for me. And so they, if they take, a, take up my case and do a full request uh, to the fit, uh, city of Houston and the Veteran Affairs in the United States, and uh, see anything now that's going to help me out. That's going to um, that's going to help me out with my case. And maybe you can, might see me testifying one day, maybe next year in front of Congress and the Senate, explaining what happened and also what happened to me. And also, I like to tell everybody, since I'm on the phone with you, that um, I have to say the same thing with Elon Musk. Say, I am not suicidal. I'm not homicidal, and I'm not. I'm not. And I'm not crazy. And I got to also watch out for the entrapments. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> fantastic, fantastic, Tariff. Your your suicide would have come as a great surprise, especially to you. Uh, John is in Leicester. Go ahead, John. Uh, hi, George. Thanks for the call. Um, I'd just like to Welcome. say, when whenever you speak to like friends and family about the Russia conflict how hard it is to get past the mainstream like, media narrative. So, say if I mention any of the reasons that led up to the invasion, like the 2014 protests and the government changes that happened, you just get really strange looks from them and like, they think I'm crazy. But you know, I, I just can't recall seeing any much discussion of what happened in 2014 on, you know, on the main news channels. Um, I, was, I was also just wondering, have, have you watched uh, Russell Brand's channel much because he's he's quite balanced with it all and i think you'd be like really good on his podcast speaking about it yeah he's uh he's very powerful and very popular uh i just wrote to him today in fact through his father who's a good friend of mine ron brand uh inviting him to speak at the no to nato no to war rally which will be held in london on february the 25th put that in your diary Further details uh, coming up soon, February 25, in London, no to NATO, no to war. And I very much hope that Russell Brand will be one of the speakers at that. And as I say, this very afternoon, I wrote to him through his dad. But uh, the, the point that you make is, of course, uh, true, uh, that uh, a lot of our people are sheep. A lot of in, uh, investment has been made in the shepherds and the gatekeepers and the sheepdogs and the trucks to take the sheep to the slaughterhouse. Uh, so it would be a surprise if uh, some of our friends and some of our family were apparently oblivious to the truth about Ukraine. All I can say is make a comparison with last February, March, April, May, June, make a comparison. How many Ukrainian flags? How many people out on the street collecting money for the Ukraine? How many Ukrainian twibbons? How many I stand with Ukraines on social media? How much public, never mind media, public support that was being expressed across our country for Ukraine and compare it with now. Make that comparison and you'll see that the scales have fallen from the eyes of millions of our people. And I am proud that we played a part in that, along with others who struck a discordant note at the time. And lastly, I'll say two things. 
First of all, when I was opposing the onrush to the invasion of Iraq, being pilloried and traduced and slandered in every section of the media, it wasn't safe for me to go out on the street. People would attack me on the street. I was treated as mad or bad or both by the mainstream media in my opposition to the invasion of Iraq, in my insistence that there were no weapons of mass destruction in Iraq, in my insistence that Bush and Blair were lying to us. Now you could not find anyone in the land that would debate against me the proposition that the war on Iraq had been right, had been a good thing. Ditto longer ago. When I was 10 years old, I knew that Lee Harvey Oswald didn't kill Jack Kennedy. Now, everybody knows it. Everybody except the same lunatics that would die for Ukraine on my opinion poll. Thanks, John. Uh, here's more YouTube comments. Sagarage, stack up the bricks and pour the cement. Don't say Dallas don't love you, Mr. President. Put your foot in the tank and step on the gas. Try to make it to the triple underpass. Bob Dylan in his epic murder most foul. Pat Brannigan says the oligarchs won't support Tucker's show so he can say what he wants. He's the only reason many people watch Fox. He's certainly the only reason I watch Fox. He's the only show on Fox I ever watch. Uh, Shalf Commandantig says Tucker Carlson wants to sit on a crown of Chinese skulls. I don't know what that means, but if it means that Tucker Carlson is extremely hostile to the People's Republic of China, and I am not, then of course that is almost certainly true. If it means that Tucker Carlson's political views, as indeed I said whilst praising him, are very different to mine, that is undoubtedly true. But it's not every stopped clock that's right twice a day, at least not on such important issues as the war on Ukraine and the murder of the President of the United States is concerned. But on both of those subjects, give me Tucker Carlson before Bernie Sanders any day of the week. Give me Tucker Carlson before AOC any day of the week, before Ilhan Omar or any of these other jokers in the bomb squad. Give me Tucker Carlson. Does that make me right wing, my friend? Or does it just make me sane to welcome on a mainstream platform shafts of light and clarity and truth from someone that I disagree with on other matters. Grow up, son. Grow up. David Otnes says Alan Dulles is Satan's number one prince. Or Satan himself, if you will. Satan walks amongst us and is present in the world and his work uh, can be discerned in many places at many times. Evil is present in the world, but so is good, so is God. 
Life is a constant struggle between good and evil, even within ourselves. That's what I'm fighting for. How about you? DW says, why is NATO found so short of munitions when they've been preparing for confrontation with Russia for 30 years? Well, because they have a private sector economy. Uh, think Catch-22, think Milo Mindarbender, if you want an answer to that question. No Toes says, my theory on JFK is that they will release the files after Kissinger kicks the bucket. I have no reason to say whether that's true or untrue. Virtually everyone involved is dead and there can be no justification for the continued unlawful holding of thousands, tens of scores of thousands of pages of evidence about who killed Jack Kennedy and what the what, why and wherefore actually was. Vincent is in High Wycombe. Let's hear from him. Vince, go ahead. Yes. Um, hi, George. How you doing? Hi. Good, sir. Good. Yeah, I want your thoughts on um, uh, Serbia and Kosovo. There's a, a potential war happening. Yep. And, um, there is? Yeah. And do, do you think uh, that uh, Serbia will invade Kosovo? Uh, that's not how I would describe it, uh, not least because, from my point of view, Kosovo is Serbia. Kosovo is Serbia, Kosovo is Serbian. It was illegitimately, unlawfully seized from Serbia uh, by NATO, uh, principally by, uh, by the United States and Tony Blair's United Kingdom. Uh, they made illegal war on Yugoslavia and bombed Belgrade uh, for almost three continuous months. So uh, I wouldn't put it that Serbia will invade Kosovo because I don't recognize the existence of Kosovo as a separate state. And guess what? Most of the countries of the world don't recognize it as a separate state. Most countries of the world recognize Kosovo as part of Serbia. Now, uh, Kosovan, for which you read Albanian nationalism, is at work again in Kosovo, staging provocations, presumably at the behest of NATO, to uh, provide a further distraction, further tension, further strain, on Russia, because of course Russia is a close ally of Serbia uh, and a guarantor of Serbia's independence and sovereignty. Uh, the only friend that Serbia has got actually in the world uh, is Russia and China. And uh, I think that the intention of NATO is to cause problems for Russia in Kosovo. But I hope that the uh, Serbian people will remain vigilant but calm, will not rise to provocations because that's precisely what NATO want them to do. But whatever happens, I stand with Belgrade. I stand with Serbia and bow my head in the memory of Yugoslavia and the great Tito. Uh, thanks, Vincent. Comment from YouTube. Solid. Hello from Serbia. 
the company that was bombed with depleted uranium in 1999. Thank you. On line two, we've got Laura in Alaska. Not often we get there. Laura, I'm very much obliged to you. What would you like to say? Good afternoon, George from Alaska. Much love and respect to you. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas to everyone. My question is more Thank of a you. statement. I'm an independent, and we worked very hard in Alaska to get ranked choice voting. And so this cycle around, it was a choice between Trump or Biden, neither one I would stand. But um, Jesse Ventura was actually on the ballot, and so I voted for Jesse Ventura. My question is to my American friends who are Republican. Um, can you find it very difficult that as a Republican, that your leaders that you have elected to Congress and to the Senate have not asked for a 25th Amendment test on Joe Biden when you obviously saw what Trump went through to take a test to see if he was qualified to be the president. Now, for those who say they support Trump in, like, Marjorie Taylor Greene, etc., why have they not initiated this towards Joe Biden? I see their memes all the time. Well, look, I think, uh, yeah, Laura, uh, if the test involved... Uh, Joe Biden biting his own nails, he would fail it. Uh, If it uh, involved controlling his own bowel movements, he would fail it. Uh, His cognitive decline is spectacular. As anyone looking at videos uh, of Joe Biden, of which there are no shortage, uh, already knows. But the, uh, the real question is to the Democrats, isn't it? What about the cabinet? What about Article 25 of the American Constitution? How can you seriously claim that this man is a fit and proper person to be in charge of the nuclear football? How can you say that this man is any longer, if he ever was, a compass mentis? Isn't the question mainly, or oughtn't the question mainly, uh, Laura, to be asked of them? No, sir, not in my opinion, because they're hypocrites. They absolutely made sure that he was in office and in power. Um, the fact of the matter is, is that my question to the Republicans is that if you are going to stand beside Trump and say that you stand behind Trump and then um, allow for the Democratic Party's hypocrisy for not calling for the 25th Amendment to stand, then it's in your uh, best interest to do the same. And what this does is show to the Republicans... But how can they do that, Laura? How can they do that? It shows to the Republicans and it shows to the Democrats that there is no difference between the two parties. They are corporate captures. Uh, well, uh, I'm, the, I'm the last man you need to convince of that, Laura. Uh, thanks uh, very much for that call from Alaska. Did you notice that I was speaking louder because I thought she was so far away in Alaska? It's funny. 
how the mind works. Uh, Yuri, however, is on the line in Virginia on Ukraine. Go ahead, Yuri. George, it's good to be with you again. I have quite a bit to say, so just bear with me. Um, it was in response to your opening salvo from talking about uh, Kennedy's assassination and seeming how the fall of the American government came from that point forward. And it strikes me um, prophetic, as I was telling you a person before, um, in reference to there's many biblical terms, many biblical verses that express um, the ending of the world by fire. And you kept mentioning uh, possible nuclear holocausts and the Antichrist uh, somewhat, so to speak, as far as the takeover of the U.S. government. So I just wanted to read this verse, and there are many others, but Second uh, Peter 3.10 says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. And in Genesis, he prom God promised not to end the world by water again. But he didn't say anything about fire. I just wanted your response. Mm. Well, a very powerful uh, as anything uh, from the Bible is going to be. Uh, it was, of course, Bob Dylan that called uh, the assassination of Kennedy the uh, the entry of the Antichrist into power in the United States. And uh, Bob's not always right. But he is quite prophetic in many regards, and I believe he is on that. The, the evil has been ruling America without interruption since the day that John Kennedy's brain went missing. Thanks again for all the YouTube super chats. Keep donating, please. Adley Ayad, five US dollars. Chuck Sklak, SC. K-A-L-A-K, -A -A Skalak, Chuck Skalak, gives two US dollars, thanks Chuck. Harry Smith gives five American, sorry, five British pounds. Maz Ali gives one British pound. YouTube comments, Joe Cool, 333, I was gambling in Odessa, I took a little risk. Send lawyers, guns and money, Dad, get me out of this. Warren Zevon predicting Vlad Lensky. Donald is on the line in Panama. Now, Donald is a former law enforcement official, uh, now retired, living in Panama, if I'm not mistaken. And I'm very glad that we managed to connect because he wants to talk about JFK. Go ahead, Donald. Well, George, how are you doing? It's nice to you. I'm, I've, I've got to say that I found you after I started developing a lot of... Uh, um, um, uh, I wasn't. I was lost all confidence in uh, in the media's, and so I started hunting around, and I found your program, and I've been listening to it ever since. Anyway, moving on. Um, JFK. What is so important that after two generations, and everybody has died, as you said, or almost everybody has died. What's so important to hold these records back? And I believe that the 
reason these elect- these these um, records are being held back or so much secrecy is the fact that Israel was probably involved with uh, with the assassination of uh, JFK. And um, what reason have you got for that, Donald? Well, the the reason is that at the time JFK declared that Israel would never have a nuclear weapon. And presumably his brother was of the same uh, belief. And if you take a look at that, shortly after that, uh, Israel developed the nuclear weapons. And, um, and that is uh, a lot of things associated with that is, I believe, smoke and mirrors to cover up that. You, you, I read about this a long time ago, and then I never saw it again. And uh, so that... Yeah, well, of course, until the evidence is, yeah, until the evidence is uh, is released, uh, we'll never know whether you're right or wrong. My instinct is that you are wrong. Uh, Israel was a very minor player uh, in 1963, uh, did not possess the means or the opportunity, uh, even if it had the motive, if you are right in the motive, you ascribe, but there were many other people who had the means, the motive, and the opportunity uh, closer to home than Israel. In general, I'm, I don't like uh, when people automatically go off hunting Jews, hunting Israel, especially when not a scintilla of evidence has been presented in support uh, of that theory. It's much more likely overwhelmingly much more likely that Kennedy was assassinated by a nexus of, of organized crime uh, of the uh, deep state of the United States and of the uh, Cuban exile emigre community that hated him for his failure to support their attempts to overturn the Cuban revolution. I think it's much more likely that the deep state in America wanted rid of Kennedy because he was not as in love with war and weapons and, and American hegemony as they wanted their president to be. And they knew, and this is also important in these kind of conspiracies, that the guy that came next, Lyndon Baines Johnson, was very much more dependable. Rashid is on the line in California. Go ahead, Rashid. George, I, I wanted to make a comment about uh, the similarity between the events prior to 1914, where you had workers, farmers, trade unionists, and socialists screaming about solidarity and the reason not to go to a gigantic war conflagration in Europe. You had spineless politicians and uh, aristocrats who couldn't take a stand either way. We're just waiting for the wind to tell them what to do. And the handful of people who were going out of their way to spark that conflagration for whatever reason, because they had some purpose for it, which they never shared. And many of them were unelected and many of the people had no chance to express their will. And I was wondering if you see an analogous situation to that, to the current events. Yeah, I mean, very well expressed, as always, Rashid. Uh, it's exactly the same forces that are uh, arrayed before us. Uh, the international situation 
is as tense as it was in the run-up to 1914. Uh, and in the same part of the world, uh, in the Balkans, uh, we see what could be the spark, uh, again, of an, a new confrontation. Because if, uh, if uh, NATO in what they call Kosovo were to uh, succeed in lighting a fire, uh, that would spread into Serbia. Russia would come to Serbia's uh, aid and comfort, and there would be a confrontation right there uh, on the front line between NATO and the Russian Federation and its Serbian allies. So uh, there are remarkable similarities. But the facts are that the Russians learned a lot from the invasions from the West uh, by Napoleon, by the uh, German armed forces in the First World War, by Hitler in the Second World War. And they will never again allow what is now the Ukraine, uh, but the, the Western approaches to uh, the Russian heartland, they will never again allow uh, an enemy to pass like a knife through butter uh, into their heart. They will never allow it. They would rather bring about the, the cataclysm than to allow it. And it's a failure to understand that by Western statesmen as they are laughingly described, laughably uh, described. That is the singular biggest failure in uh, international politics today. Even bad politicians like Kissinger, like George Bush Sr., like James Baker, uh, knew that you shouldn't push Russia too far. Because if you did, it would have no alternative but to fight back. And that is now exactly what's happening. I've only got time, Rashid, for one more call. And I've got to ask you to step aside because there's a legend on the line for the first time in quite some weeks. It's Norma in Bristol. Go ahead, Norma. Hello, George. Um, it's about Ukraine, actually. Um, you know, our political parties, they always state, we stand with you, Ukraine. And they send the money for weapons. But um, Johnny, Johnny Miller, wasn't it? He said that um, it's always our responsibility of the West, it will be, to try and stop this war. And my question is, when will we be told that Ukraine is not this good guy and explain a bit about the truth about them and perhaps try and stop to help to stop the war? I mean, it's, it's so frustrating. Um, it's more than frustrating, really, George, because we never, we always get one blimmin' side and nothing else. Do you know what I mean? Well, uh, yeah, very well said, Norma. Uh, the, the answer to the question when uh, is when Washington decides to do so, if Washington decides to do so. If the U.S. want to go uh, to a general European war uh, in which, without doubt, nuclear weapons would be exchanged. I say without doubt, and I know you're a great peace campaigner, Norma, uh, I say without doubt for a reason I've explained before. Uh, if, uh, if NATO were winning the European war, uh, Russia would have to fire its nuclear weapons 
to stop themselves being overrun. If Russia were winning the European war, NATO would have to fire their nuclear weapons to stop the NATO countries being overrun. It's really as simple as that. So if European war breaks out between NATO and Russia, it will begin conventionally, but quickly escalate to not just battlefield use of nuclear weapons, which is absolutely certain, uh, but to what we call intermediate forces. So forces that can be fired in France or Britain and reach Russia and vice versa. I.e. everything short of intercontinental missiles that will envelop both the United States and Russia and presumably China also. Uh, and so, if the Americans want to go that far, well, they'll continue along their current uh, alignment and direction. If they don't want to go that far, or if they are forced by their public opinion not to go that far, uh, then the world can be saved. The one constant in this equation, the one thing that cannot be changed, is Russia's absolute, I use the word absolute in its literal sense, Russia's absolute resolve not to be destroyed by Western invasion, not to be occupied, broken, robbed. Russia will, even if nuclear war becomes inevitable, defend its national territory and its territorial integrity, its independence and sovereignty. That is the one thing that will not change. And so the ball is in the court of Western countries and Western people, Norma. The ball is in the court of those of us who answered negatively to our poll, who are not ready to die for Ukraine, to decide whether Kopyansk is in one country or another. Akupiansk, they have no idea where it is, cannot spell it, definitely cannot pronounce it. And there's no sign yet, got to tell you, that the Western public is yet conscious enough and determined enough to tell their government to stop. And therefore, I'm expecting next year to be a year which may very well end everything in general European war. Despite that, I have to keep going. You have to keep going. We have to keep going, praying and hoping and arguing and fighting for a different way. And that's what I'll do. And God willing, I'll be here again on Wednesday. No last minute Christmas shopping for me. I'll be here next Wednesday at 9 p.m. London time, UK time, with the midweek mother of all talk shows. We only now have one sponsor for half of that show, whereas for a time we had two sponsors for each half of that show. So I need your help in finding new sponsors. If you have a company or have influence with a company, or have a friend that might be persuaded to be a sponsor for the midweek mother of all talk shows, 
please write to us on our website. Uh, we'll be back, of course, with the Sunday show on Christmas Day itself on the 25th of December. So you've got plenty of chances to get your tuppence worth in making your case and hearing mine and that of my guests. It's been marvellous for me. I hope it was for you. And if it was, come back on Wednesday. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.